welcome to episode 83 of Sack King's Therapy. Uh, we are going to be going over the Warriors game and the Mavs game, and we are not going to—we are actually not coming to you right after the game. Um, we had some kind of scheduling conflicts. I basically couldn't record right after the game, so we've had some time to digest our thoughts for these games. So hopefully, it's a more let's just say detailed and more nuanced approach that we have to reviewing these two games. And with me to record, uh, as I have kept saying, we, the other person that will be reviewing these games with me, Paul. Hello. Yes. Okay, well, let's get started with the Warriors. Uh, The Kings took on a red-hot Steph Curry and some guys on the Warriors uh, it was a shootout for most of the game. Both teams basically traded leads all, all basically until the very end of the game, where Warriors kind of got lucky. Uh, basically, this is how the play went down. Um, I think I think we make a shot. Okay, I don't remember the exact sorry this exact sequence, but basically we make we make a bucket. Uh, the, the inbounder passes to Steph. We Halliburton. I think Halliburton and. Uh, Halliburton and Holmes trap uh, Steph in the corner. Steph basically throws it to Buddy. Buddy basically just, you know, he grabs the ball, dribbles it, and just drops it out of bounds. Like, there's no real other way to describe it <laughs> other other than a choke. And, like, we were, Kings were down one. Like, that was probably going to be a, a layup or a dunk. And it would have given us the lead and pr- likely the game. Like, you, you never know with a guy like Steph on the other team. Like, you know, he could easily take back the lead. But, like, you know, B- uh, Buddy fumbles the ball out of bounds. And that basically was the game. And, uh, yeah, what were your thoughts on the game? Uh, Yeah, that that ending sequence kind of, ooh, ooh, yeah. Buddy just had butterfingers slipped out his hands and uh yeah that was after that I really thought yeah that that was really game uh but um overall I got to say uh we had Halburn starting along with Rashawn Holmes back uh thank goodness but uh Halburn really didn't have too great of a game like in a short stints I got to say bro uh he was trying to hit like, you know, his usual floaters and uh, free points. And uh, most of it didn't go in like uh, we usually see in previous games. But uh, overall, I think one of the major issues that we had so, uh, would be, you know, our uh, defense and rebounding. Because uh, every time the Kings try going for a rebound, somehow it ends up in Rooney's hand. And do you remember that, uh, Rick, in, uh, what, five offensive rebounds by Looney within like what 10 seconds yeah it was someone called it kind of the Charles Smith possession except you know he doesn't you know they also he ultimately ends up scoring but yeah it was he basically passed it to himself off the rim a bunch of times and it's you know the Kings were just you know Kings just kind of got unlucky but it does speak to a lack of fundamentals in terms of them boxing out or their lack of and you know, a guy like Looney, who, by the way, is not a good rebounder, just <laughs> hilariously just abused uh, the Kings on the offensive rebound on that on that possession. It actually kind of threw the uh, offensive rebounding stats a little off. They end up getting six, 17 offensive rebounds. You can take about five off and like, 
you know, we're actually our rebounding actually would be very similar. <laughs> oh, never mind. It would not be similar at all. Never mind. I, I misspoke. But that's that's, you know, five offensive rebounds in one possession, basically right there. Uh, yeah. But, you know, overall, this game was pretty much Steph Curry game because he just shot and drove past our defenders like it was just a brick wall, pretty much. Or not a brick wall, but like, you know, I thought I actually thought the Kings defended Steph well, like, you know, Steph had 37 points and, you know, shot very well. But going into the fourth quarter, he actually I I don't remember. I think it was like 11, 10 for 17 or 11 for 17. He ended up only 11 for 21, meaning he only basically got four shots in the fourth quarter is a pretty unheard of for the most part for Steph Curry. Like this is this is going to be a theme for the two games. Like Kings really did a good job keying in on the main guy on the team that creates everything. Like, you know, I I didn't think the Kings had this in them, but like it, it was really nice to see them be able to basically limit what Steph Curry's effectiveness. Like the Warriors, like, their entire issue is that Steph is the only shot creator and the only consistent shot maker on the team. So, you know what? Kings were were willing to give up open looks at guys like Oubre, Draymond, and, you know, uh, the other guys as well. Like, and, it, you know, for the most part, it worked. You know, it, like, I, my main takeaway is that the process of, like, how they played this game was good. It just it just didn't end in a win because, you know, there, we made some mistakes down the stretch. Rashad had a possession where he missed two free throws and, you know, the the buddy fumble, the final play, you know, basically the exact same play we ran against Minnesota where uh, Buddy screens for Barnes and, and then pops out. Like, they ran that play, but it just didn't work because, you know, Oubre is not an idiot and doesn't double and doesn't double Harrison Barnes for no reason and leaves open and leave open a buddy. Like, I thought the process overall was good. It just didn't end in a win. Like, mm-hmm. You know, in a way as well, I don't see this as more as the Kings blowing the game. You know, you can, you can easily say that you can say that easily say the Kings blew the game. I see it more as the Warriors getting lucky and just barely surviving the Kings on this one. I know that's weird to say. Yeah, I know. Like, both teams made their own mistakes in their own ways, but it's it's like whoever utilizes uh, the other team's mistakes uh, for their advantage in a way uh, gets to win this game. And, you know, the Warriors did get that advantage, sadly. Um, Stono, speaking of Halliburton as well, that you spoke of how, you know, he played, you know, play, he played well this game. Like, what was it, 25 points, I think? Let me check. Yeah, 20, uh, 24. 24 points and eight assists. Like, that doesn't justify how good he was in this game. That stat line doesn't tell you much. Because in the fourth quarter, he was actually, I think, the only guy that made a field goal at all. Like, I think he was six for seven in the fourth quarter. He was, I think, four for four for thirteen going into the fourth. And like he he controlled the pace and, you know, dictated like the possessions and you know, he did a good job of running point. And just controlling the team, like this is really encouraging going forward. And like again, even though it, even though like in the statue really doesn't show that he lit the score, hit, like you know, lit the box score up. 
like he picked his spots, hit crucial shots, and kept the team like you know, kind of kept that kept a decently comfortable cushion until you know until the Warriors are finally able to rally towards the end. But like it's really encouraging to see, and like him being able to you know effectively pick his spots and affect the game when it matters. Oh yeah. I also got to shout out a buddy for having a really good game, six for eight. For much of the game, it was a it was a shootout between him and uh him and uh Steph Curry basically. And you know, inter- I I'll, I'll just leave this at it's a it was an interesting idea to have him guard uh Steph, but the scheme is that you know he, they basically have buddy st- you know stick to Steph as much as possible and then switch whenever necessary. I didn't think that was I know like King's Twitter like you know on on the surface it looks really stupid to put basically your worst perimeter defender on Steph, but like Steph. The one of you know one of the points of contention between Warriors Twitter and and you know um, and Steve Kerr is that they don't have Curry attack one on one that much and it kind of showed this game because like you know he's off ball a lot of the time and you and again the Kings did a good job of just shading like constantly just having like having kind of a zone around Steph Curry and having basically uh. Buddy just chase him around everywhere. Like it was a good plan. I know he scored, you know, 37 points, but again, he, they managed to actually limit Steph Curry. And mm-hmm. yeah, so I just want I just wanted to bring that point out there. I thought Buddy had a much better game and a defensive game as well. Like you know, choke the choke at the end aside, like he had a good game. Oh yeah, you could see. Uh, I don't want to say with Buddy. It's just you know during the stints of uh, losing, uh, whatchamacallit, we see kind of like the bad buddy side, but he's for some reason gone back to what I would say uh, the good buddy. <laughs> he's taking the good shots, uh, playing, you know, d- decent do- uh, defense, and, you know, I, I want to see more of that. I also want to see, you know, more de- uh, mid-range as well because he, he hits those. Yeah, he's a good shooter, and you know if he's just patient and doesn't jack up contested threes, like I can live with what he does. Like, you know, he is he is a valuable asset in a way, like when used right. But you know, he's had a really down year, and I wonder if this is the going to be the, become the norm. Like it's been the norm this year. I, I hopefully he like recovers by next season. Like if we don't end up trading him, like. Yeah, like I, I know I criticize him a lot. That's why I want to sh- show him some love here. He did he did play a good game, and you know always got to shout out Harrison Barnes. Harrison Barnes is kind of the Iron Man. <laughs> he actually got Draymond on a few possessions, which I thought was really funny. Like he's been playing a lot better lately as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, let's move on to the Mavs game then. Uh, so Mavs game, this one is of course against the Luka man again. Kind of the same theme with the Warriors game. You know, they have one real shot creator. Like, other guys, they can, they can quote-unquote create their shot, but they're not, you know... It's it's mainly Luka, especially when it, when the starters are in. So, the Kings kind of did the same thing. They did a great job of just keying in on Luka. But, you know, before we actually get to that, like, uh, you know, you got to shout out how, like... I think the score was 20-3 to 3 at one point, right? Yes, it was... <laughs> Yeah, like the Kings actually came out like hot 
off a of back to back, no less. Like that's actually that's actually incredibly surprising and impressive to me. Like because these are the kinds of games where you see the Kings come out flat, but they came out firing, and it set the tone, and it gave a. It basically took a while for the Mavericks to finally kind of figure out the Kings. You know, they inserted their bench, and their bench was able to get buckets on us. They had Boban just literally just being taller than everyone and getting buckets. Trey Burke, just one of those kinds of guys, like those little those scoring guards that can just light up the Kings' defense because the Kings are, you know, flaw, or have really big holes that can be very, that can be very effectively um, exploited by a skilled scoring guard, and that was Trey Burke this game. He lit up the Kings when he came in. The, the The bench was able to kind of get the Mavs back into it, but the starters were just terrible this game. Uh, as I as I mentioned, the defense did a good job of keying in on Luca and just giving like anybody other than Luca an open look, or even letting him get a shot off. But the the Mavs just were not able to capitalize. Tim Hardaway Jr. three for twelve from three. Uh, Luca a different kind of case, but like four for twelve from four for twelve from three. And you know Dorian Finney-Smith, the the one guy you never really want to leave open on the on the Mavs, shot two for seven. And you know it, it just was not a good shooting night for the for the uh, for the Finney Mavs. Yeah, I gotta say overall our defense. Uh really keyed in like you said with Luca and I, I in most cases I thought we got pretty lucky with uh, a lot of the open uh, frees that uh, the Mavs were trying to make in the first quarter especially uh, because they weren't really driving in the rim as much as they I, uh, they should because you know we had those open pockets that for some reason uh, you know they just made layups like uh, we had no defenders there I remember there was a play where I think it was uh, Trey Burks with literally three defenders in the paint uh, just drove in like easy. And there's we need to fix that, you know, I guess help defense and call the switches more easily because uh, we give up a lot of easy shots in the paint. And yeah, like don't let don't let these two wins kind of fool you into thinking that the Kings defense is better now. It's not. It's still pretty bad for the most part. Like we gave up a lot of open looks, and the the maps just weren't able to cash in for some reason. It just was a bad shooting night for them. But like we gave up so many open looks, and there were mo there were multiple moments where like you know the first rotation is there, the second rotation is there, but then there will be no third rotation at all, and it just gives a wide open three to somebody. And yeah, like it's. You know, I I love you know I love what we did in these two games, but like at the same time, the the flaws are still there. But you know, these two teams just could not abuse it, and it, it tends to be a theme with a lot of these, or a lot of our wins. It's just that the the opponents just don't shoot well, and this is actually a pretty this is actually a pretty funny stat. Uh, we shot 13 for 29 from three. The math shot 12 for 42 from three. They actually they shot. They shot 13 more threes, yet made one less three than us. Like, they just were not able to, you know, get, make make it rain from downtown. It just just wasn't there for them tonight, or, the, yeah, for this game. And, yeah, that's basically how we won the game. But credit credit the Kings defense for, again, limiting the, limiting the star in Luka. Like, 
you know, Mo Harkless did a really good job of just, like, kind of angling him into the help. And, like, anytime he drove, like, there were just arms everywhere. Like, you know, De- DeLon Wright, long arms. Tyrese Halliburton, long arms. Buddy, Buddy sometimes is there. Rashawn Holmes is mobile and long. Like, they get, they ultimately end up giving up open shots on some possessions, but they were willing to live with that if it meant limiting Luka from getting to the rim. And Luka, like, only, I think only had two sh- two points or no i think he had five points in the third and one of them was you know one of the step back threes or no he i think he had two like floaters and then uh, one free throw like basically he he wasn't so much invisible he just was like you could tell like there was just no room for him to do much and you know credit to the king's defense for again limiting the star and just shutting, kind of keying in on the main guy to make it difficult for every. Well, make it easy for everyone else, but like make it di- difficult to start to get going. Oh yeah. Well, other than that, I we forgot to shout out that it was Dewan Wright's birthday that day, or well, uh, yesterday, I guess you could say. Uh, yeah. Happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday to him. You know, he he didn't score like particularly well, but like he did do good things. Like again, he's simply long and, you know, he can make plays there. And yeah, he also, you know, shared ball handling duties with the guy we're going to get into, Tyrese Halliburton again. Like Halliburton, you know, is the main ball handler right now without Fox. And he did a again, he did a great job of controlling the pace, you know, getting every kind of getting everyone organized and just making things happen. Like down the stretch, like even the even though he he only I think ended up scoring 15 or 13 points this game. Let me check just real quick. He had 14 points, but it felt like he had way more because he controlled the pace and he hit two very crucial shots. Like and well, I think he only hit one shot in the fourth, but like he he controlled the pace. He got every again got everyone organized and he and like he just affected the game even though he wasn't actually scoring it felt like he was making every single play it felt like he actually had way more points than he did and he hit a, like a crucial pull up like um two-pointer that gave um the kings a little bit of a cushion that i think the next possession down it led to a, a wide open buddy three that he cashes in like it's really encouraging to be able to see tyrese halliburton handle kind of primary ball handling duties the, the only thing I do worry is that I'm not sure if this is sustainable. If, um, you know, Harrison Barnes is going to be out, he, he ended up getting injured in the uh, second quarter. I think it was an abdominal strain. And without, because like Halliburton has shown that he can, he can effectively pick his spots. Like he doesn't, he's not a guy that's going to score, you know, 30 points a game, but he can score 14 crucial points. And, you know, he needs a volume score to kind of keep them in it so that a guy like Halliburton can close. And that's what I hope that uh, De'Aaron Fox can do when he when he gets back. But we'll see that go forward. He did kind of gas out towards the end, but just understandable. Being the primary ball handler is not easy. And they and the Mavs were smart. They actually uh, pressed them full court on quite a few possessions and it slowly wore them out. But it's encouraging to see our rookie point guard, like, being able to handle duties like this. Oh, yeah. And I'm liking the, like, the minute uh, spacing between the players nowadays, uh, especially with uh, Damian Jones out there, Metu out there. Even We even put out Kyle Guy out there for a, a lot of possessions. And, you know, 
who's missing from this lineup? Hassan Whiteside. <laughs> we don't get to see him anymore. And I'm kind of glad we don't see him, to be honest. I will say that that stretch where Boban was dominating the, uh, you know, Rashawn and the smaller centers, I, you know, you could have inserted him for a few minutes there. I wouldn't have minded. I'm not going to lie. Just because Boban was just so huge. Like, you know, you could have used Hassan in those positions, but that's about it. Like, yeah, I don't, I didn't mind that he didn't play. Like, yeah. And Rashad actually figured it, figured Boban out. He figured out Boban can't move at all. So like he literally just got by him like at <laughs> will. Um, but yeah, like and the minutes distribution. I, I mean, Kyle guy played 11, 11 minutes. I loved it. Although like if there were some possessions that weren't pretty, I feel like he's a guy. If he had more experience, can actually do things because he 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 made things happen this game. Like there are some very encouraging signs with Kyle guy in my opinion. Hopefully, I, I mean, I, I got to say, I thought uh, he would be a great replacement for, you know, kind of that Yogi-esque player. And in my opinion, I, I thought he uh, would be a better player than Yogi in some ways. Well, here's the thing with Yogi. He didn't play much last year. Like, <laughs> So it's just it's just tough. Like, I've asked Jason Jones about this. Like, you know, he's he's basically said it's it's hard to find minutes for a guy like Kyle Guy when... Uh, you know, De'Aaron's playing, you know, 30-some, like, high 30 minutes, and, like, you know, Halliburton's out there. But, like, I feel you can cut a feel of, like, De'Aaron's minutes to, like, you know, the 34-minute mark as opposed to the 38 or the 40. And just have Kyle Guy out there for, like, six minutes. Like, just give him a little bit of a break. But, you know, I'm not a, I'm not an NBA coach. So, like, what do I know? Yeah. That's, that's just me kind of, you know... Essentially, like pretending the players are pieces pieces on a chessboard when it's you know, not. Um, but yeah, I, I love I love what what I saw in this game, and it was again like seeing Halliburton be able to handle like handle picking his spots like effectively. I want to see when Fox comes back that Fox can kind of see that he needs to be the volume scorer, and like Halliburton can take can take the role of the of kind of the picking picking the spots kind of guy. Now this is not the this is not a perfect comparison, but like in a, in a kind of a Chris Paul and Devin Booker manner, where Devin Booker is the guy that scores like 30 points a game. But Chris Paul is there to basically fill in all the all the little gaps. Like he's he's the one that closes out games because he's got energy to do it because he's been busy he's only been busy like setting up guys getting guys like good shots getting Devin Booker good shots and then you know when it's when it's crunch time he kind of settles everyone down and then makes a play makes a play picks his spot and just closes out games when Devin Booker might be a little tired from scoring all those points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see how Tyrese. Uh improves and you know I, I can't wait for that off season when they go into training camp <laughs> yeah, and honestly to even have an off season because Halliburton got drafted and then two weeks later it was two weeks later or like a week later was training camp and then and two weeks later it was the start of the season already and he came and ready to play I am very curious to see what this rookie class like the 2020 rookie class like what these players look like with a with a training camp Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, like one of the criticisms I have of Tyrese is that he is ridiculous levels of skinny. And like, you know, during during the Warriors game, he got bullied by Draymond a few times. 
Like, he, he needs to put on some weight, and with a full training camp and a full, like, offseason to kind of just work on his body, he's he's going to come back stronger, and I'm excited to see what that entails. Yes, we shall see. I mean, if Fox can uh, buff up, I mean, why can't Tyrese? I bet he can. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. You know, body types are a little, like, everyone's body types are a little different, Um, you know. Like Brandon Ingram's had issues like gaining weight for a while, although you know he's he's become you know I guess like he has a good core strength. Still looks like really skinny, but like you know good core the core strength is what matters. Mm-hmm. Okay, now that we've uh, covered the the Aaron Fox uh, eh, not injury, but let's just um, safety protocols thing. We're gonna move on to actually what this podcast was originally planned to be about. It's about the uh, King's Herald show with Jerry Reynolds, and they talked to someone named Jake Fisher, who basically wrote a book about essentially the tanking. Uh, like the the topic is like teams that kind of tank the wrong way, and one of the major topics in the book and the main topic of this podcast, or like the, the Jerry Reynolds show, the King's Herald show, is you know the Kings's draft. So. You know, Kings have not had a good track record of drafting, to say the least, since Vivek has taken over. Not even, like, even before that, like, they missed out on Dame for Thomas Robinson. The next year, they missed out on CJ for Ben McLemore and uh, many others. I think, yeah, was it the Papianas draft the next one? I mean, there's so many that you can't really keep track, to be honest. Yeah, so, well, uh, we're not going to cover the entire podcast. I'll just cover, like, my most notable things from the podcast. And honestly, most of these things are things we already know, but there's a little bit more detail about it, you know. Uh, So first thing I want to talk about is that apparently Kings really, really liked Ben McLemore in the 2013 draft, I think? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so that was the C that was the CJ McCollum draft because I remember very vividly is that the Kings really needed a point guard at that point and they just could not help themselves but just draft non-point guards. They ended up like Jimmer was supposed to be the point guard of of the team. Well, guess what? Jimmer sucked basically and never really found his role uh, on the team and. Uh, they had a chance, and again, Damian Lillard, they instead drafted Thomas Robinson because they were afraid of, I think, losing Jason, I think it was Jason Collins, whoever the power forward was. And yeah, this year in the 2013 draft, yeah, 2013 draft, they selected Ben McLemore, even though they were really high on CJ McCollum. They were, they even told CJ is that if you're available at number seven, we're picking you. But, you know, behind the scenes, they they really, really wanted Ben McLemore. So much so, they actually wanted to trade up to get Ben McLemore. Uh, and luckily, we didn't. Uh, I forgot if it was Ben McLemore or Nick Stauskas where it was the vet that, you know, by eye saw that uh, he liked him more over the other. Uh, it was Stauskas. Stauskas is probably what you're talking about. The, he made free throws. We'll get to that. But yeah, we wanted to move. You say like, we, you know, and luckily we did. Did it really matter? <laughs> like we we still picked him at seven. He He's turned out to be a good player, a decent role player. 
Like he's on the Lakers right now. And apparently he's the leading scorer, which is hilarious. Um, and, but like, yeah, him at seven over CJ, like that. Talk about blowing it. And again, you needed a point guard, like for so long. He just kept whiffing on these good point guards. Or CJ is like a shooting guard, but really he's a point guard. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so the, so let's talk about Nick Stauskas. The other the other guy Vivek or not Vivek, but like you know the front office is really debating over is Alfred Payton. They really liked Alfred Payton, but but Vivek loved Nick Stauskas. Do you know why he loved him? Yes, I do. You want to go ahead and talk about why? <laughs> Now, there are a lot of things uh, important in basketball, you know. The most important thing is getting that is getting that ball through the bucket. And Nick Stauskas did do that from the free throw line. This all this all this shows me is that Vivek just doesn't know anything about basketball. I'm listening to Shattered right now on the Athletic uh, Podcast uh, Network. And they're talking about how James Dolan is a very, very fickle and honestly – Basically, a guy that doesn't know much about basketball and is extremely fickle. There's a story in there about how uh, James Dolan at a Knicks game saw Miles Turner hit a three, and James Dolan turned to his assistant and said, hey, who's that guy? Is there any way we can get that guy? And apparently that's the only time – the first time he's ever seen – uh, Miles Turner. He's never he's never like studied him. He's never like met him in person. That was the first time he ever met Miles Turner, and he said, "How how, how can we get this guy?" That level of fickleness and short attention span and lack of basketball knowledge, unfortunately, is almost like a mirror image of what Vivek did here. <sighs> yeah, uh, yeah. Just Vivek, just seeing how well. Stauskas just hits free throws and not look at any other part of like his game. It's just kind of infuriating in a way because, but to anyone's like eye, to a normal viewer uh, watching Nick Stauskas during the years that uh, he did get drafted, it, he wasn't. I mean, he was good in free throws, sure, but everything else is like it wasn't good. <laughs> it, it wasn't good at all. Like he. Yeah. All he did was make threes and free throws. That's all you I can say, remember. You say make threes. I, I think it's more shooting threes than actually really making them. That's like what? True. And what use is free throw shooting when you can't get to the free throw line? <laughs> like, does it? Yeah, it, it it to me just shows Vivek's lack of basketball knowledge and essentially the arrogance about it. Where like I'm guessing he didn't listen to his assistants who did know about basketball. Like, you know, say that that's not exactly the most important thing. Like, you know, he's tiny. He can't really play defense. He's not a good ball handler. Like, those are the kinds of things you really need to look at and say, this guy is tiny. And the only thing he can do is shoot. And apparently the only thing he can really do is make free throws. Like, that's not a like if I'm looking that at a draft, like at a draft combine, that's a, that sounds like a second round pick to me, honestly. I mean, he should have, but you know, we did draft him high, so. What was the pick? I think it was eighth, right? <laughs> it wasn't a pick that Nick Stauskas deserved for sure. Yeah, let me let me look that up real quick. Yeah, there he is. He's on the oh, he's on the Bucks. What? Oh, G League, I think. 
Yeah. Well, that's uh. Yeah, so that he was the eighth pick in 2014. Yes. Oh wow, I actually got that right. But yeah, so um, let, let's just say that's a that's a one of the blown picks. There are many more to come. They did not talk about Papianis, which actually surprised me. So that that was kind of interesting. Um, next note I have is that so. No, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm in the camp of, you know, loving Demarcus and what he did here in SAC for the most part. Like, you know, he did a lot for the community. He was basically the best center in the league, but just couldn't, you know, carry his team to, you know, the playoffs because of, you know, bad management. And also, apparently, he was a very toxic presence in the locker room. Now, I, I will defend that in that, you know, the level of toxicity was not helped by the front office fucking up so much. But apparently one of the things the the podcast talks about is that DeMarcus did not like being outshined by Isaiah Thomas. There is one specific inc- incident that they that they uh that they reference and I don't remember the game, but Isaiah had a really good game and basically was the guy that got all the shine. And DeMarcus apparently was so angry that he just walked out on media in the locker room. Like didn't didn't get a chance didn't give a chance for anyone to interview him. Just walked straight out of the locker room and probably to the bus or to go home. What were your thoughts on that? I mean, at the time, to be honest, I I didn't follow too much of the behind the scenes with Demarcus, but as of right now, if I saw that with him and what he uh, has done with our team, I mean, it's like that's that's not good. That's a kind of like that's uh breaking our like team chemistry and whatnot and uh yeah it can like you know break our team apart and that's in my opinion it's not okay but like i said it's it's a thing where we should have seen it uh sooner i guess in a way yeah, that is petty and just like you know reeks of some really some really bad insecurities, to say the least. And yeah, like if, if you like, yeah, if I was following the league like deeply now, I probably would have said we needed to trade Demarcus. To be honest, like that is a toxic level of behavior that does infect a locker room and it does break them apart. And that's what he did. Apparently, he apparently he also hated rookies. Whenever you know, whenever they were in practice, apparently he would set hard screens, yell at these rookies. And just – I remember very specifically the stories of him breaking Ben McLemore basically, just being hard as hell on him. Basically, DeMarcus was a guy that basically tried to trample over everybody, let everyone know who the man was, and did not like people – you know, he was the king of the jungle, like you know, like our mascot. He, and he just dominated the team and really did have a cl- – Basically wanted to be the man, and it, it really was at the detriment of his teammates. Yeah, I remember uh, the podcast saying about how Nick Stauskas was trying, you know, shoot threes, and he would just screen Stauskas so hard that to the point where, or was it Stauskas or I forget. I mean, he I think, did that. I think it was Stauskas. Yeah. He, I mean, he did this to a lot of rookies, of course, but it just demoralizes these uh, kind of guys who are trying to build and make something out of the league and you know most of these guys just became literally nothing at this point just because of uh what has the or what demarcus has done to the team 
I tend to disagree with that they didn't they didn't amount to anything because of Demarcus. Look, look, if you're not good like that that you're just not good. And I think that's more of what it was. I think superstars become superstars no matter what, like no matter the circumstance. It, but like I just you know Ben McElmore hasn't amounted to anything because he's just he can only shoot. He can't really do anything else. Same thing with Nick Stauskas. He's too he's too small. He can't really handle the ball well, and he's not a good enough he's not a good enough shooter to justify playing him. I think these guys you know just ended up not being good and honestly not having the fire. And also kind of the goal to stand up to DeMarcus. You know, I'm, I imagine, like, they didn't talk about it during these years, but, like, they didn't have any Mont Shumpert in the room to say, what the fuck, dude? You don't be doing that shit to people. Like, what the, like, what the fuck are you, you insecure little, insecure fucking giant? Like, why do you got to bully people? You got some, like, you got something to hide? Like, you know, I, I imagine not having that kind of presence in the team really hurt the you know really hurt the kings as an organization and as on on the court as well because as far as i know and they do talk about it a little bit they really kind of baby demarcus during these years and we'll get to like you know the george carl stuff but you know they always favored on the side of demarcus and just kind of enabled this love this kind of behavior <sighs> yep Okay, next note I have is that so George or not George George Carl, but Mike Mike Malone, the infamous Mike Malone firing. Now we know what happened. They were doing good, then uh, Demarcus was out for I think like two or three games, and they ended up losing, and they fired Mike Malone right there. It was some bullshit, and it still is bullshit to this day. Apparently that situation, so Mike Malone was hired in 2015. And and like I think either in the off season or whatever I, I don't remember the details but he was hired and apparently as soon as he was hired and in the off season during summer league Mike Malone was apparently telling his assistants or people around him saying he's already on the hot seat because it, it, during summer league Vivek went at, I think Vivek and Vlade I believe I don't do you remember if both of them were there. I, I know for sure Vivek, but I'm pretty sure if anything, Vladi would be there too. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll talk about that a little later. But like, apparently the, during summer league in Vegas, George Carl was already meeting with Vivek. Now they they do say specifically that we they don't know if he was already like you know trying to get the job, but like basically Vivek was already kind of like essentially kind of trying to feel out George Carl, essentially like. Basically, essentially kind of like saying, you know, I, you know, I, I like you, George Carl. Like, you know, I know we just hired a guy, but we would really like it if you were the coach. And uh, yeah, like that is the level of fickleness that I talk about. It's the shiny new object like that distracts you from, you know, the, the greater purpose. And George Carl was that like he's a, well, he's not a championship coach, but he has a big, you know, long track track record of winning. And they they have hired Mike Malone, was probably hoping that he would turn the team around. And then but before that even like started, they were already scouting out another another uh, coach. It's like when it's like, you know, I don't do this often now, but like it's like when I buy a new pair of shoes and then there's another pair of shoes that comes out. Now I want that pair of shoes. 
it's that level of that is the level of attention span and fickleness that you can't have with the owner running the team. Yeah, I mean, man, he he has done a lot of negative things that I never have thought he has done in the past during the time when uh, I was watching. Because, like I said, I don't uh, really uh, listen to the behind the scenes uh, with the Kings. Uh, but you know, what do you think uh, would have happened if we kept Mike Malone for the next, let's just say, couple more seasons? If George Carl never was in the picture. I would say they would be, I mean, they probably would be champion or not champion. <laughs> uh, they'd probably be in the playoff for sure because they were building something. There was something like DeMarcus, you know, will say like he was the first coach. Mike Malone was the first coach to ever stand up to him and he respected him. That was the, that is the presence. That is the Iman Shumper presence that DeMarcus needed. And you fire him. And, like, that broke the team. Like, that basic, that essentially broke the team for the next year and the year beyond. Because the team did not like George Carl. And, yeah, like, it really, it basically set them back an entire year and a half because of that really stupid firing. <sighs> yeah, like, I remember the year that uh, George Carl was hired. We had... I get. I mean, theoretically, a decent team. We like we got Rondo. We had a uh, Collins in the uh, six man and uh, whatnot. But it's like now that I think about it, if we really did keep Mike Malone, I feel like we would have won at least 40 games the next season because we were at the time, even uh, during uh, George Carl. Barely breaking 30 win games a season. Yeah, the the reason why is because the team quit on George Carl. They hated him. You know the snake and the the snake in the grass comment, and we'll, we'll we'll talk about that now. But like apparently during the when Mike Malone was fired, the, one of the first meetings that George Carl had, essentially, like, they basically had a meeting with, I, I think Vlade was definitely there. Vlade and Vivek was that, you know, they floated the idea of, like, trading DeMarcus because they, they he looked at the roster and, ba- and basically said, yeah, this is, this roster is just not good enough to be able to make the playoffs. We need to, we need depth, we need better players, and you know, he he had a whiteboard of things that they could do, and one of the things was floating the idea out there to trade DeMarcus, and that's where the snake in the grass com- comment from DeMarcus came from. And you know, I, I've always said like George Carl may be a good coach, he may be even a decent person, but like with that many people calling him a snake, and like you know, so many he has so many feuds with so many players and coaches. At some point, like you just have to come to the conclusion where that he's a bit of a he's a bit of an asshole, and that's just how it is. And yeah, like it's firing them again. Firing Mike Below set the team back so much because that was the that was a great coach that was going to find a way to work out with Demar- Demarcus Cousins, and probably would have gotten them to the playoffs because. That would have been – he was the guy that held DeMarcus accountable and would have made him a better player. Now, to be fair, George Carl did make um, DeMarcus a better player, but, but you know, still, everyone hated his ass, including DeMarcus. 
yeah, kind of really outshined, uh, you know, what the markets has done uh, with the team during that time. I, I kind of remember uh, when, like, right before George Carl was fired, like, everyone, everyone hated him, whether it's, like, the players, the front office at that point, and even the fans. And, yeah, we really wanted him gone. And at that point, we had how many coaches? Probably, like, three lost during, like, I don't even know how many years span, maybe two years span. So jo- so Jason Jones always makes this joke is that he, he might be one of the only – he might be one of the only people or at least people covering the Kings at that point to see three coaches in one season because they had Mike Malone at the beginning of the season. Uh, I think it was Tyron Corbin was the was the interim head coach for a bit. Mm-hmm. And like they, they even told Tyron Corbin, yeah, you're going to be the head coach for the rest of the season. And then a few months later, how they hired George Carl? Again, fickle. Just short attention span, not keeping promises, and just basically like look, basically kind of like being drawn towards the shiny object in the room so easily. And yeah, the, basically three coaches in one season that extended to the next season. And apparently he was going to get fired in the middle of the season. But the reason why he didn't get fired was because it, the financials. <laughs> they they basically didn't want to pay for three coaches at the same time, the, the front office. And that's why he actually stayed uh, with the team up, up up until the end of the season. And everyone like knew he was gone. He, he knew he was gone. The players wanted him gone and knew that he was probably going to be gone. The writing was on the wall. And it was a very, very toxic season. Yeah, that was a really hard season to watch. We we lost a lot, I believe, that season. I if I remember correctly, we we had some good moments. Like I think I remember a very specific play, like Rondo, like you know, coaching up Demarcus. Like essentially, uh, I think yeah, it was against the Hawks, and he recognized the play, and like he he basically just told like people to get in the right position to blow up the play, and we ended up winning that game. And that was the game that we were in the eighth seed, and we were 500. And, like, good vibes all around, and then it just kind of fell apart from there. Uh, well, maybe Rondo should have been the coach that year, but, you know, you can't do that. I mean, he was he's the floor general, and, like, honestly, had, had maybe we kept Mike Malone, like, I'm pretty sure he would have been able to find a way to work with uh, Rondo, because Rondo was still good at, at that point, and mm-hmm. he still is in spots, but, like, to talk about, like, you know, a coach, in, like, a, a coach that DeMarcus respected, and a player that, you know, DeMarcus still loves to this day and probably respects for his basketball mind, like, that would have been like that's 2016, 2015-2016 team. That was a good roster of talent, and like the, we had a chance to make the playoffs. Like, the, like you know the coaching, the coaching staff and the players just didn't mesh, and you know, we're still we're still not in the playoffs to this day. Not yep. gonna be at the end of the season probably. So, um, next thing I want to talk about really quickly is a uh, Chris Mullins. A bear, so Chris Mullins was essentially the Joe Dumars before Joe Dumars was Joe Dumars. And he was kind of in Vivek's ear and like as an advisor because, oh, oh, yeah, he's from the Warriors. It's really the only reason. And uh, he was going to he was 
he was in very good favor with Vivek. It was like one of Vivek's like, you know, trusted advisors, you know, one of those guys behind the scenes that really kind of led the team to make the decisions that they did. And but all of that kind of came crashing down when they fired Mike Malone and Vivek wanted Chris Mullins to actually be the head coach. And Chris Mullins said no and was kind of subsequently kind of, you know, in the background, just pushed out. And like they just he just lost all favor with Vivek. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't remember Chris Mullins being uh, a coach, to be honest. Was he even a coach? I don't think so. He probably was. I, I probably like right after he retired. I don't remember. But you know, he had you know he he was a big part of that uh, Warriors not rebuild, but like you know he he had he had a he had a role in playing. He had a he had a role in the rise of the Warriors and. You know, now again, the shiny object in the room, Vivek loves the Warriors and how they built their team. And, you know, Chris Mullins was that guy. And unfortunately, until he wasn't, because <laughs> he just, he disagreed with Vivek and didn't want to take over the team. Yeah, I mean, I don't, to be honest, I, I wouldn't want to be forced into a coaching job either if I were uh, Chris Mullins. And, you know, uh, with the toxicity that's already happening within the Kings organization during that time, I'm, I probably would have left earlier if that's the case. To be honest, I mean, I don't know if he would have been able to handle Demarcus, but like I imagine he would have been a guy that the the front office would have backed because he has he is Vivek's guy, and I don't know, like maybe that turns into like the New York Knicks of the West, but. You know, maybe that works, but they, they fucked up when they fired Mike Malone. It, it, that's really the root issue there. Mm-hmm. You can talk about Chris Mullen. You can talk about the hypotheticals. The, the moment they fired Mike Malone, they fucked up. That, that That's basically – that's the root of the issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, next thing I want to talk about, apparently I, – I, I forgot if it was from Vivek, but like v- Vladi was told that he should try and bond with DeMarcus – and essentially teach DeMarcus how to quote-unquote play winning basketball. And DeMarcus reports basically say, like, what the fuck are you going to teach me? Like, I don't <laughs> need you to teach me shit. So, like, that, that relationship was bad from the start is <laughs> basically my takeaway. Yeah, I mean, you know, Vladi's been out the league for a long time in terms of playing uh, on the court. And, you know, his game is, I would say, very old-fashioned. And uh, I disagree, you know, but keep oh, going. really? Okay. Because in my opinion, uh, like how we built DeMarcus uh, to be that point center, I don't, I don't know. I mean, in, I know Vladi is a great passer, and he could have taught uh, DeMarcus some, uh, you know, point center type uh, plays. But I think, uh, in a way... I think DeMarcus uh, really can uh, play better without, you know, having Vlade being there to, you know, coach him the way, on the way. Well, the the way that Vlade played is actually, it's more of a precursor to Jokic. Like, mm-hmm. him and him and Webb, like, they, they were a precursor to the Jokic type player. Where you know they they were they weren't like you know their first option is not is not that they were gonna score 
their first option was that they were going to catch in the high post and be able to find a pass. And that was what made them very deadly. And it really opened up the Kings' offense. And that was a key to the Kings' offense. It was that high post kind of split, you know, where you throw it to Webb and uh, Vladi in the high post. And then guys just cut all around them. I felt like, you know, DeMarcus, I'm, I'm going to criticize DeMarcus a little bit. You know, he was a very arrogant young man. And, you know, he he was basically always the best player on his team. And, like, you know, he's not a very coachable guy, let's be honest. Like, if he kind of listened to some of Vlade's, like, advice, I think it would have helped. I think it very much could have helped him. Because, like, a guy like Vlade has, you know, he didn't win a championship, of course, but he knows how to play winning basketball. Like, you know, being that high post, being that high post offensive anchor, and, uh, you know, being, like, very competent on defense. Didn't Vlade win a Defensive Player of the Year? I don't remember. Mm, probably a while ago. It's just, like, he might be uh, on the first or second team, if I remember. Yeah, so, like, you know, he could... Now, DeMarcus didn't have the mobility, but, like, he still could have, like, you know, like, learned positioning and such yeah. things from Vlade. Vlade had stuff to teach him, I think, personally. Uh, on the basketball court anyway on the front office let's keep Vlade out of that but like I think he could have taught uh, you know DeMarcus a lot now the ball handling stuff that you mentioned sure he couldn't have taught him that but like he could have taught him like you know stand still reading the game because you know those things help you win basketball games and help you make your teammates better in my opinion if, if he was a little bit more receptive it probably could have helped DeMarcus a lot more than he probably realized yeah, I see what you mean. It's just that, you know, sadly, DeMarcus is that kind of, you know, bipolar guy that won't accept uh, that much help. Or, you know, he's that hot-headed guy that, you know, can't, like, you know, I, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> um. Yeah, uh, He again, just, a, you know, a hard-headed player that it is very frustrating for a lot of coaches because – it's a guy that is just so much talent is brimming off of him. He just needs to learn how to play the right way. And, but he refuses to, you know, learn the right way because he thinks he knows more than you. And mm -hmm. to some degree, he kind of does to some degree. He doesn't, but you know, those are the kind, those are the coaches nightmares that they usually don't want to deal with because again, there's a lot of talent in there and, you know, you just have to find a way to harness it, except he doesn't want you to touch him <laughs> essentially. So, mm -hmm. That's unfortunately the case with DeMarcus, and I'm not gonna pin it. I'm not gonna pin the Kings' failures during that era to DeMarcus because the the front office fucked up so much. Again, they needed a point guard for so long to pair with DeMarcus, and they they found a gem in Isaiah Thomas, and it just didn't work. Fine, like, but like you had a chance at Dane, you had a chance at CJ, like, and you fucked up on those. Like that was the that was the root issue, I think. And it started with the front office. And it's un it's unfair for you know people to pin it on Demarcus, but like that was that was the front office fucking up. Mm -hmm. uh, the next note I have is that I it, I forgot the exact context, but like Vivek always seems to think he has a radical idea that will change the landscape of the basketball world, the secret sauce they call it. And, you know, one of the one of those is the infamous uh, five on four basketball idea where one player camps themselves on, on the other side of the basket and just cherry picks the entire game. 
Oh. Uh, there are other ones, but to me, everything Vivek says, everything, all the reports, although I hope he's kind of calmed down in recent years, there weren't that many reports about nowadays. But, like, the fact is, is that he is a, he is essentially James Dolan in, in the West to me. Fickle, a very fickle person who thinks he knows way more than he does, doesn't care to learn about the the intrinsic uh, elements that run that you know exist in running a front office in a, in the NBA, and just thinks he knows it all, and he doesn't. So I just think like if the, if Vivek is still like this, future does not look bright, despite you know De'Aaron Fox's you know. The, the magic of De'Aaron Fox and like whatever we're gonna get out of this uh this next pick and Tyrese, like it's not looking good if this is how Vivek still is. Yeah, so far, I mean, I haven't heard any news about Vivek lately, but if he's gonna be like that with our back at the yeah. basketball organization, he he definitely someone has to tell him, you know, you gotta just focus on managing. <laughs> Everything else other than, you know, basketball. Yeah. Uh, hopefully that is the case. But, like, uh, I I mean, like, I don't know, I forgot if I said this during the trade deadline episode, but, like, hopefully the trade deadline decisions were Monty's call, not Vivek's call. Because if they are Vivek's call, that tells me that Monty is likely not long for this job because, you know, if Vivek's going to overrule him like that, He's not going to want to stick around. And, you know, I, I, it's not going to, like, if he, he's a guy that just doesn't know basketball, Vivek, and he really should just, needs to fuck off, in my opinion. And just handle the business side. You know, you, you're a tech guy. You're good with money. You know how to handle money. And you, you have great ideas, just not in the basketball world. Focus on that and fuck off from basketball. Uh you think uh what you would call it if Vivek is still doing these type of things how long do you think we'll ever see like a bright spot in the king's organization to the point where we could even reach the playoffs uh well if we draft a lebron james like person <laughs> like that that's the <laughs> only hope because like you know Dor- although like you know um we lost we watched the last dance like that and the Chicago Bulls were dysfunctional, but like they did have a very good uh, GM and uh, for uh, Jerry Kra- Jerry Krause. They did have a very good GM and Jerry Krause, but that organization was fucking was a fucking you know chaos theory. Like it was it was just chaos all around, and like you you can overcome that when you have Michael Jordan on your team, when you have Scottie Pippen on your team. It is possible, but it's not sustainable because they fell right, they fell apart pretty quickly after MJ uh, left the team. Granted, there there are some caveats to that, like there are other reasons, but like you know, a, a great player can overcome just about anything. Look at look at Cleveland and LeBron James. That that organization is hot fucking garbage. Look look at what they've done since LeBron left. Jack shit, and you know having LeBron there. Like dictate, you know, dictate the decisions and all that jazz. That was able to make them relevant. So the only way you can ever overcome a shitty owner, help to some degree a shitty front office, 
is to have a LeBron James, a Michael Jordan on your team. That is the only way. Uh, well, for me, I don't see that happening anytime soon. And well, you never know. Kate Cunningham. Yeah. Well, that's a, maybe. That's the like your. That's the one like. That's your one lottery ticket. Like, you know, the only way. But like, there. I mean, if Vivek is able to kind of like you know calm down, I think there's a bright future for the Kings. If he's still the way he is, good fucking luck because. The only other hope is to, for him to sell the team. And I'm going to remind you, Donald Sterling had, had an NBA team for 20 years. Oh, it, it's, it doesn't happen very often. If you're talking about like, oh, um, Vivek needs to sell this team. Yeah, good fucking luck. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> very unlikely to happen. <sighs> well, well, let's hope um, Monty is, uh, you know, making the moves and not Vivek because, yeah. Anyway, we're gonna come. We're gonna come into the the uh, end the end the end stretch of the podcast. Um, so I thought this was another interesting thing. In the 2014 draft, um, that was the Nick Stauskas draft, by the way. Um, Kings were actually looking to move up to get Joel Embiid. I thought was interesting. Oh, is that right? Uh, yeah, that. Why that's interesting. <laughs> I don't think there was a deal there. That was probably why. Oh, I like, see. And, you know, like, I just, again, I just thought it was interesting. Like, they scouted guys, but they just kind of made the wrong decision on who they wanted to go with. Like, they want, they took risk. It was just usually the wrong one. <laughs> it's, that was kind of the, kind of the other thing that I've kind of noticed from this draft. Like, you know, they wanted CJ McCollum. They were planning on getting CJ McCollum, but they gambled on Ben McLemore. I mean, they, and in the 2015 draft, they drafted Willie of quote unquote to do the dirty work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I don't think I don't think anything needs to be said about that. But like, they just made the wrong decision at so many levels, and yeah, um, but you know, it, it was just interesting. They did want Joel Embiid. Even though, by the way, Joel Embiid coming out of Kansas was not like who you think he is. Yeah. He was he, he was legitimately like. The, the third guy behind Andrew Wiggins and whoever the fuck was the second guy on on uh, Kansas that year. Like he was he was a skinny kid who was you know raw and like we didn't know what he was. Oh no! Like if he if we did you know somehow get him through all the trading up and whatnot, uh, I can't. In my opinion, I can't see him flourishing within this Kings organization like he has done in the Sixers. Uh, again, I'm going to I'm going to just disagree with you there because as I said earlier, superstars become superstars no matter what. It doesn't matter the environment, in my opinion. Josh Jackson can blame the Phoenix Suns for fucking up his career all he wants. You've you've not succeeded anywhere else, so it might be you, Josh. <laughs> like I, I I think I think he would have been fine. Like honestly, if you think about it, that that 76ers front office. Well, it's not is not that much better than the is not much that much better than the Kings before Daryl Morey. Mm-hmm. They made a lot of mistakes on the way too, and people don't people tend to forget it because they got Ben Simmons, they got Joel Embiid, so it's all good. Uh, like I I think Joel Embiid would have been just as good as he is now it uh, as he is in on the 76ers. 
Yeah, that'd be an interesting, like, Twin Towers effect uh, that, uh, you know, they had in the New Orleans Pelicans when, you know, we traded DeMarcus Cousins. But, you know, if, if Joel B did stay with us, I, that'd be an interesting uh, team, I got to say. It's just that uh, I also can't see us uh, getting any uh, supporting cast with those two. I think you can figure it out. Like talent rules, talent rules the NBA, and you you'll find a way. And that probably does mean you move to Marcus for a better trade than you know what what we got. But you know, like I think you could have fi- found a way to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, Jerry Reynolds during the entire uh, episode basically stresses that the draft lottery is a crapshoot, but. You know, the Kings, the, he did suggest that the Kings may need to tank properly. And, but he says that, he also does say that, you know, the t- Kings shouldn't just straight up lose games on purpose. Um, was a note that I have. Well, what did you think of this comment? Yeah, I mean, like I said, just play the game and play as uh, much as you can and to, you know, hopefully win, but it doesn't necessarily mean you uh, you have to win or you have to lose. It's just you know play the game how you how the players want to play and uh, how the coaches want the players to play and you know play just good basketball. And, yeah, we'll just eventually uh, get to the draft and hopefully whatever place we're in we'll just have as much of a good chance as the top ten or top. top yeah, what am I saying? The worst 10 uh, teams in the league. Yeah, like, I, I mean, I've read some comments, like, saying that the Kings should com- completely tank this entire De'Aaron run. But at the same time, like, that gets you to, what, six, the six best lottery odds? Like, is it honestly that much better than the ninth or the seventh or the eighth? It's not a huge percentage. And, you know, people obsess, like, say, oh, we should go one way or the other. It's okay to kind of stay in the middle nowadays because, again, it's a, it's a complete crapshoot nowadays, the draft lottery. And I just don't think people understand that. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, I guess people thought, you know, it's the old-fashioned way where, where, you know, how the Sixers tanked harshly and, you know, got two great players out of it. And, you know, it's not, uh, it's not how the case nowadays. It's all, you know statistics and whatnot but you know yeah it's just a different uh, era and you know we just gotta play how we're playing right now and uh, just hope for the best i'm looking at the tankathon odds currently we have a seven and a half percent chance of getting the number one pick and 31 32 percent basically to get a top four pick now, is that that much different than 37% and 9%? I if we don't did, know. If we did if, tank now? Yeah, if we got to the six, if we got to number the six uh, best lottery odds, it, like, is that the best? Is that is that good, I guess? Is it worth it? You know, I'm not going to answer that completely. I think, again, it's a fucking crapshoot, and uh, I just don't think it's, like, worth it to just lose games on purpose, like how a lot of people are suggesting. I just just I just I did a lottery simulation. Uh, Minnesota is, I think, the fourth worst team right now. They just ended up getting the sixth pick. Huh. Uh, just, like, 
is it worth it to go all the way? Like, and Cleveland, who's the you know the six has the six worst record, got the number one pick. It's it's a fucking crapshoot. I don't think it really matters what the Kings do at this point. Just play basketball, just develop, just yeah, just develop the young guys and try and find these you know the lineups that the guys that can work with uh, De'Aaron and you know try and build around De'Aaron and Tyrese. Yep, and hopefully Monty, uh, you know, creates something out of this because that's what it comes down to nowadays. And hopefully, you know, like we said, Vivek just stays out of this. Okay. Um, all right, fi- final few notes. Uh, so Jake Fisher closes out the podcast saying that he really likes Monty and he really likes the idea of building around uh, Fox and Tyrese. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? I, I, I mean, it, it, do, it does give me optimism to say that, you know, he's a he's basically a tank expert and he says he likes, you know, Monty McNair. And he likes uh, fo- like the you know the building blocks that is uh, De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah, I mean we got two you know generational talents that we haven't seen in from the Kings in such a long time. I, and- I will calm down on saying Tyrese is generational. He's a very good fit on a championship team, though. I, I'll, I'll give him that. Let's call, let's calm down on the generational stuff. Okay, with Fox then. <laughs> Like, uh, yeah, it's not like how, uh, like with the Marcus where it would have been, uh, I guess, quote unquote, difficult to build a team around him. But now that we have Monty, I, I feel like we have a lot bigger uh, building room uh, for with Fox as a point guard, and uh, we could actually, you know, build a, a successful team out of this. And so far, in my opinion, this season we've. Uh, We've accomplished a lot, and even though we're having, you know, a losing season, uh, we have a certain, uh, you know, we got certain role players that I could see uh, us keeping for the future. Yeah, like I really like Terrence Davis. Like I think he, I think he could be a very good piece next year. I like Delon Wright, but his his money is a bit tricky because if you want to sign Rashad. Resign Rashawn Holmes. It's gonna be tricky to keep him on the team as well. If you're not gonna move one of Barnes, uh, Bagley, and uh, and or Buddy Heel. That's the only thing about Delon that I'm a little bit queasy about. But I think I think there's a I think like you know him's kind of reaffirming you know confirming that Fox and Tyrese are good building blocks and that Monty McNair is a good GM to be able to do this. It does give me a lot more optim- optimism now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully we can somehow keep Rashawn. It's just uh, they were also saying, yeah, they're they're waiting for that. Uh, Rashawn's family is waiting for that four-year, eighty million dollar contract because you know he is worth that much to some teams. But with our is, is he? I I don't know. That's what they said. But you know, with uh. our situation, I I still think he's a twelve to fifteen year million dollar a year type player i don't even think for our situation i don't see him like i don't see it like 12 to 15 million i think it's well no i don't see 20 million a year for four years i think i think that's a reach and that's no shade to rashawn like he's a very good like center but he is undersized and i 
I just don't know. Like, unless, like, Charlotte or New York actually wants to throw that money at him, I, I don't know. I don't think he's that expensive. I mean, those were the two teams that they have mentioned. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's just, uh, I wish we could keep him in for, let's, let's just say, three years, 12, 36 million. <laughs> That's, I think that's a bit low for Rashawn. I think you're gonna got, you gotta go up to probably 15 million a year. Okay. Unfortunately. So 45. Yeah, 45, and I think a longer contract as well, like probably four years. Mm-hmm. I mean, which is a, I'd say, a pretty good contract, I guess, for uh, this team. But we still, I, I'm hoping that we can uh, secure. Uh, another center i'm not sure if it's with uh within what you know damian jones or uh someone else it's it's that yeah like you said he is undersized and we need that big burly man like alex len which i don't know if he would be a long-term uh centered for us anyway in my opinion I think Vershawn is actually fine as you're starting or your closing center, but you do, yeah, you do need a guy to back him up, like a big guy to back him up. Mm-hmm. And right now, J- Damian Jones can be that guy. We'll see, but like, yeah, the only issue with Rashawn is that he is small, like, but he is switchable. He's legitimately a switchable defender, and you know, if we were ever to develop a decent enough defense, he could be the anchor of that. And. and yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But it is a tricky situation, and I hope we figure it out. And I, I implore, I, you know, encourage and will support Rashawn in getting all the money. Mm-hmm. You know, just get paid is, is your priority, Rashawn. Oh, yeah. As a player, most definitely. And uh, I guess the, the last thing I, I want to talk about is that Jake thinks Marvin is done. He, he thinks he's probably yeah he he wants out of this team he wants a better situation and the Kings seem pretty dumb with him too. That's yeah I mean as much as I want to like this guy it's just yeah he has too many injuries and he has just too many I, I guess I don't want to say mistakes but yeah it's just a, a lot of cons that just uh make him not want him be in this team and you know he i mean do says that he's coming back to basketball operations so (laughs) maybe we'll see him by the end of the season before he goes yeah i I think just marvin he's a very there's a lot of talent there you know he's a very kind of mobile very fluid athlete but he does have, you know, you know, your defensive limitations, and currently it just this is not working with some, what he does. And you know, it's unfortunate he's also kind of pigeonholed into a certain role in in the offense. Like uh, there, there's definitely more that he can do. But as it stands now, he is not a winning player. And you know, if he's good, and he also he's not good enough to be really be able to complain about anything. And he is complain. He he has not publicly complained, but he has. But his family and like you know his supporters have complained very um, aggressively for him for him to have a bigger role or trade him somewhere else. I just don't think a guy that's you know that's that has that affects the game like as much or as little as Marvin 
can really command this this much baggage. So, yeah, I think yeah, uh, if he if he wants to be gone, I'm fine with that. Although I wouldn't be mad if he stayed on the team because there's a lot of potential there. And honestly, with the way how he's playing, you can kind of talk him into taking a discount. Yeah, well, we'll see. I doubt his family will say otherwise, though. Oh, they ain't going to say anything when, you know, they're earning, like, you know, double-digit millions a year. Like, that's how these kinds of situations solve themselves out, let's be honest. <laughs> okay, well, that uh, oh, last thing. Uh, King's Herald, apparently. <laughs> I thought this was interesting. King's Herald, not the biggest fan of the positive commentary from, from the uh, King's commentary team. What do you think of that? I mean, I don't... I don't mind the commentary, in my opinion. I mean, Doug gives out like pretty uh, great basketball IQ points that uh, you know could help the team, but you know, really, the team doesn't utilize it. Uh, but um, overall, you know, you could tell at some points, like uh, from was it last game, uh, Doug had a really just kind of like that angry tone in his voice about the Kings. And, uh, you know, he, I mean, I, I feel like the positivity is, you know, just hides the fact that, you know, our team is, you know, really bad. I mean, what can we say or what can the commentators say when we're like, losing this bad? I, I will always say this about the commentary team. I'm ve- I'm so impressed and honestly mesmerized how these guys are able to keep thing keep a positive attitude about this team. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, the Doug Doug seems to be losing it because, like, again, this is what, almost 70, 50 games of this bullshit, and it's it, it's it, it's got to like wear on his mentality and his mind. And of course, there are times like I do roll my eyes at some of the things they say, like you know some of the Buddy Heald stuff. He leads the league in three point makes and. Stuff like that. But honestly, I'm all for positivity. I'm all for just, you know, finding a light at the end of the tunnel. And these guys are great at doing that. I think I, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with, you know, with how Doug and Mark and Kyle do commentary. I think they're great. I think they're one of the best um, announcing teams in the league, actually. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's fine. Like, just pump some pos- positive vibes into the team, into the you know, into life. There's nothing wrong with that. I feel. What you call it? Uh, do you remember when Jerry and the other guy that we won't talk about uh, has done commentary and how the other guy is was uh, kind of like half good, half pretty negative about the team. Uh, would you like to have that kind of commentary back if that were the case? I'll be honest. I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't really watch the Kings, and definitely didn't watch the Kings broadcast at the time, so I can't commentate on it. But I, I love. I love the current commentary team. They're great. Mm-hmm. I think. Okay. Well, that's all. That's all we have. It's unfortunate that we do have to open up with some bad news with De'Aaron being out. But hopefully, the Kings kind of weather that storm, and you know, wherever we end up, wherever we end up, and. Yeah, this was a very great podcast by the Kings Herald like and Jerry Reynolds. Like a real a lot of insight, a lot of interesting points to be made. It wasn't as depressing as uh, Kings Twitter tried to make it. Like they 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 were talking like this is like the darkest day of the King of 
King's history and like it really depressed them. I mean, yeah, there are there are a lot of like damning facts, you know, damning reveals in this podcast, but it's not the end of the world. And honestly, it's not anything I didn't know beforehand. Let's be honest. I mean, yeah, pretty much. Well, let's see. Our next game is tomorrow, right? At against seven, the Mac. Well, no, against the Golden State, sorry. Golden State at 7 p.m. Is it at uh, Golden One? I believe it is. I don't have the schedule. I'm just going to say it is because I do remember it's same, same versus. But, yes, yeah, Steph Curry's coming to town. I'm expecting, honestly, only 30 points, but they're going to blow us out. Yeah. Oh, actually, he's at the Chase Center. Oh. The chaser. Okay, never mind. I was wrong. Oh. I mean, I mean, speaking about uh, arenas, I kind of still want to go to the Kings game before it ends, but I don't know about those prices. We'll see about those prices, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I'm down. I'm down to go to one um, mm-hmm. at some point. We shall see. Yes, we shall see. Well, I guess we'll see you guys later then, huh? Thank you.